0: It is a production. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh My dear brothers, sisters, friends and the foes out there Welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast With your host, Didi Hussein. Before I introduce today's guest I want to remind all the avid podcast listeners That you can find this show on all the major audio platforms And if you tune in via YouTube Don't be cheeky, click subscribe Today we have with us a UFC fighter. Someone who's been with the Ultimate Fighting Championship for nine years. Currently contending in the welterweight division with a professional mixed martial arts career of 24 fights and 18 wins. Joining us via Melbourne, Australia is none other than brother Jake, the Celtic Kid, Matthews Asalaamu alaykum.
1: Welcome, Salam. Thanks for the calm words.
0: Thank you for joining us at uh, this late hour. Actually, what time is it right now where you at bro?
1: it's quarter past 10 at the moment
0: quarter past 10 and how's it been adjusting <laughs> after your first Ramadan
1: it's been good to be honest um you know I've done some inmin uh, fasting before obviously being an athlete we're in and out of different types of diets and, and fasting and whatnot so the fasting side of things wasn't too much of a shock to the body the the lack of water was was a little bit different to something I've done before but but it was good it was good um I feel refreshed after it. And I actually I actually dealt with a few injuries during the uh, during the month. And my osteo said that the way I healed up was not normal. He said I was like four or five weeks ahead of where I should have been. So, you know, I, I, I know the science behind fasting. And I know that, you know, the healing of cells is a part of it. So I, I definitely contributed to that.
0: And are these the injuries uh, that made you pull out the Gabe Green fight recently?
1: It is, yes. Yep. They're giving too much away for, uh, for future opponents, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything too significant. It was, uh, it was a four or five week setback. So we've, we've just let the UFC know that I'll be ready to go very soon.
0: Inshallah. Right. Let's start from, let's start backwards. Actually, no, the other way around. Let's follow a chronology here, right? A video you posted on Instagram recently. Um, it's a 60 second clip. And it's where you pretty quickly announced, you, you were either in another interview, another podcast, and you basically announced that you're Muslim. Was that your first public post or where you basically confirmed that you were Muslim?
1: It was, yes. Yeah. Um, I was, it's something I was very re- reluctant to do. Um, I've got I've got some close friends that, you know, they, they said it would be, you know, they, they sort of talked me into doing it in, in, in a good way. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier that, you know, it's something that can help other reverts seeing, you know another UFC fighter revert, hearing their story, and hopefully they can relate. And if if they want to, they can reach out to me and and message, which I I received dozens and dozens and dozens of messages. Uh, People that I would never have thought that I've known for my whole life actually messaged me and and said that they were thinking about reverting and they were interested in learning more about Islam. So it was was a good thing that we did it. And, um, yeah, the reluctancy came from... The fact that I, I don't feel that I have to justify myself to anybody. And, you know, my reversion is genuine and I didn't want anyone to think otherwise. So that's where the reluctancy came from. But I think it is a benefit that I have made it public and, and let people know.
0: Alhamdulillah. My dear brother, you know what? I pray for that Allah keep, gives you istiqamah that keeps you firm upon what's most pleasing to him. I mean, And us all, bro, new Muslims, born Muslims. Practicing Muslims, lots of practicing Muslims and everything in between That's all we can ever ask Allah for To be worthy enough for his mercy and forgiveness uh, As, as you know, flawed human beings that will err, that will sin And I pray for your success and that of the whole Ummah, bro I Um Tell us a Thank bit about know. the life of Jake Matthews pre-Islam What was your upbringing like? Uh, what were any religious influences, <laughs> if any?
1: There were no religious influences at all. Uh, I did. Ha- I've always had Muslim friends growing up and the only influence from them was their character and the brotherhood that you can see. There was no and, and something that adds to the character was it was never any, any talk about Islam or religion or, you know, I should look into re- reverting over you know the last more, more than a decade, more than a decade, I've had Muslim friends, and not a single one of them said a, said a word to me, um, so it was definitely something I found on my own, and that just added to the character that, you know, then no one was trying to force me to revert, no one influenced me at all, and, and a lot of people, especially, you know, a lot of family and friends, they probably find that hard to believe, because the first thing they think is, oh, he's been influenced by someone, um, that's definitely not the case, and I'm sure, we'll, you know, we'll get into that story as I talk about how I found, found Islam, but, um, but, yeah, the character of of, of my Muslim friends, just it just lured me towards wanting to not 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 being religious, but just wanting to hang out with them more, and um and obviously it was just a natural progression into wanting to learn more about their way of life, why they are the way they are.
0: Does that mean when you were growing up, you had cho- like so you went to a mixed school? Did you were in from a mixed neighbourhood where you had Muslims.
1: Melbourne's Melbourne's very multicultural. And um, I mean, the early, early days, it was a typical Aussie, Aussie kid growing up. I played Australian rules football for nine years, played at a very high level, always active, you know, I used to swim in school, um, used to, you know, played rugby in school, just very active kid. And that led into me getting to martial arts and obviously martial arts on top of growing up in Melbourne, which is very diverse, martial arts is very diverse. And um, that's a great part about martial arts is there's no there's no race on the mat you know what I mean and um, met most of my Muslim friends through martial arts through Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and yeah I, I guess once you bring martial arts into the equation we're all on the same journey together and we're all trying to get better and training together on the mat we're in very close proximity so any um uh, what's the word not racism but I guess any you know hierarchy your thoughts that you grew up with yeah. or yeah anything like that goes out the window completely you know what I mean so anything that's instilled in kids from a young age from you know their parents or, or other influences that goes out the window with martial arts and that's that's what happened with us and we became before this is again well and truly before I became a Muslim we, we were brothers and they'd call me their brother and okay. um and and these are guys that I've known for the last 15 years and still best mates till today
0: Alhamdulillah. Um did you were your parents Christian? Did you, were your grandparents Christian? Did you have Christianity around your life? Or any or any were atheism around your life? Was there any kind of like any uh world view that influenced your life growing up? Or it was present besides your Muslim friends?
1: I honestly couldn't tell you what my family is. I guess having a Scottish Irish background, potentially Catholic, but there was yeah. there was absolutely zero if anything, it was probably leaning towards More towards atheism. Ever since a young age, I always believed in in something, okay. and that changed from that changed from year to year. You know, yeah, I ended up just believing there was a higher power. I wasn't sure what it was, whether it was an energy, a, a universal energy, whether it was an actual, whether it was an actual god. But I definitely believed in something, um, despite all the, you know, all the um influence from from family, but like like I said, leaning more towards atheism. So. Yeah and no, I so, so, so again I just um ever since I was younger, i still still finding my own way not really letting the, that outside influence affect me too much.
0: Now in that uh, little clip that went viral on Instagram where you basically uh, professed that you became Muslim and that it actually happened when you were looking for a podcast on Christianity but you came along um the history of Islam by Ilyas Bel Haddad. Um tell us a bit about that. Tell us a bit about elaborate a bit on that. What was happening there?
1: Yeah, I mean this this was like there was n- there was no like so there's no influence before this. This was the moment that just kickstarted everything. And it's it's kind of a lackluster story. It's not really an exciting story. I was I was mowing the grass. We have some acreage. So I was mowing the grass for about 5 hours and I just found the longest podcast I could find which was a history on Christianity. Okay. And then Months down the track, the next time I mowed the grass, I was like, "Oh, I listened to the history of Islam, different religion, not not the same religion, completely separate." That's what I thought, and as soon as I put it on, I was just like, "Like, oh, what's going on? Like, this this just seems so similar to the you know to, and then I realized that you know Judaism, Christianity, Islam, it's all an Abrahamic religion, and what we know you know in a sense one sort of flows on to the next, and then. I just couldn't couldn't understand you know all the all the wars and you know all the hate over the years for something that seems to me seems so similar, and that just that just really piqued my interest and I started looking more into the history of Islam, just looking at the story of the prophets from Abraham to Noah, Moses, you know Jesus, and so it started with the historical study I guess, mm-hmm. and then it led into seeing that the it's, the religion is more than just just history and stories in um in a holy book it's it's actually guidelines for life for, for everything from how to clean yourself to how to enter someone's house Absolutely. how to deal with conflict and i just thought i'm going to start implementing this into my life so, so it went from the history to implementing some of the guidelines into my life and no one knew about this this was something i did on my own my, my partner knew but none of my close friends knew we get into discussions and talk about islam and and they're always like, man, this guy knows a lot about Islam. Like, what's going on? But they never they never really gerried to the fact that I might be interested in it. And actually, one of my, my, my best mate, my best friend, uh, Mupman, he's, I was I was talking to him and his mother one day. And when I left their house, his mum said, that boy will be a Muslim one day. And that was years ago. That was years ago. The, was so she had that, that little inkling. Yeah, she had that little inkling, little sense. And... I mean, after implementing the guidelines and, and the morality and ethics into my life, things just got better and better and I could see the benefit. And then that led into believing in the worship side of things and wanting to know more. And when you know, after about it, so so this is this is over the period of about a year and a half. So I took my Shahada at the start of this year, like okay. the start of January. Okay. But this was a journey that I've been on for the last two years. Okay. A year and a half, two years. When did the podcast and, and then
0: when were you mowing your grass and you listened to that? That was about
1: two years ago. That was what, about two years ago, Two, two yeah. years ago. And then, yeah, and then after, you know, a couple of years, I knew – I wanted to make sure that it was real. It wasn't a, a phase or a fad, which I'm sure a lot of people go through. Um, and there was no reason for me to, to do this. I, I didn't have – you know, I've been very lucky, very, very lucky. I haven't had massive adversity in my life. Um, I've never had had any addictions or any you know bad habits that led me towards religion. It was just something that it was just a natural progression into it. And uh, after a few years, I, I, I said, this is not a phase or, or a fad. And I said to my friends, Hey, I want you to take me to the Masjid. And they're just like, what are you talking about? And I said, I want you to take me so I can take my Shahada. And these are, these are my best friends that I never knew. Wow. And this is, uh, this was earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then the rest is the last six months of just, you know, really just diving into it and, and never been happier. Loving See, it's, it.
0: It's crazy because, subhanAllah, it's crazy because you just said it's not my, my journey to Islam wasn't so eventful. That is eventful, bro. You are mowing <laughs> your grass. You're listening to a, 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 a podcast on Christianity, which somehow then led to you for the next time you're doing your grass, listening to one on Islam. None of your friends or close people knew that you were even on this journey, and you just told your fr- your your lifelong friends, Muslim friends, that like, take me to the Masjid, take the Shahada. That's crazy. That's a that's that's a mad journey, <laughs> bro. I'm gonna see. Wow. So like, okay, it's good to hear that. It's good to hear that. Of course, no, that's that is as eventful as you can get. That's like how, like it's like it's like a secret journey you had because who were you speaking to when you had questions and things about the religion? Uh, who you, who would you speak? You you'd think that you'd have someone you could speak to because a lot of Brothers and sisters who revert to Islam. Before that, they have a friend or two that they always go to for like any kind of questions, any kind mm. of doubts, and these kind of things. Who was yours for that two-year period? I did, have,
1: I did have a. I did have a few. I, I do have a. You know, I have a very, very small circle. Okay. Which is made up of 99 percent Muslims. Okay. I have. I have one best mate who is not a Muslim. The rest, the the rest are all Muslims. And it's a very small group. So there are a few boys in that group that I would talk to, but. If I had any questions, I'd i because I drive a lot mm-hmm. for training. You know, we train two three times a day. I'm always in the car. I just I just pull up Islamic guidance channel on YouTube, Mufti Menk, um, any any scholars or any YouTube channels that I could find information on, and I just listen every day. And and that that's where I just yeah, I just I really kept it to myself and and went on the journey alone um, until I knew that it was. It was legit because I didn't want anyone to – I didn't know how people react. I, I didn't want any of my of my Muslim friends to be like, oh, you know, he's close to reverting. Let's jump on and try and influence him. I didn't want to feel like I was influenced in a certain direction. I'm not saying they would have done that, but I wanted to avoid that at all cost. And so I really just kept it to myself. Any discussions I had, I brought it up. And I'll say, you know, you know, like it's almost when you, you have like a conspiracy talk with your friend or you have yeah. a talk about history with your friend. Yeah, it yeah. was just a general – I just bring it up in a very um, – you know, light-hearted way, so they wouldn't they wouldn't think that I was you know interested in reverting or and uh, yeah that's that's just the way I approached it and to avoid any influence and after two years still still loved it as much and was just as interested so I know I know it was real.
0: Alhamdulillah, did you have any? Um did you have any questions or doubts or things that prevented you from taking a Shahada or or as they say, the the leap of faith, the leap of rational faith, you know, people have doubts and questions all the time. Did you have any that stood out to you in that period that kind of like stopped you from taking a Shahada sooner?
1: No, nothing, nothing. Um, All the questions that I I did have, like I said, I, I found them on my own and, you know double check them and make sure the the references and the resources were were, were correct mm. and but yeah no everything just it just kept building one on top of the other and just reinforcing more and more that this is this is what i want and i, I didn't really didn't really have that those doubts at all even even when it comes to family you know like i said we, we didn't have much religious influence growing up but I, I know my family's very supportive my partner's very supportive and they've continued to be yeah and I, I guess i'm lucky in a way i know Look, I know a few quite a few people that are interested in Islam and would want to revert but but my family what will my family say and that's sort of what's keeping them away from that and to be honest, like I said, I don't have to justify myself to anyone i've always I've always been that that way um, so if if someone doesn't want to support me or or even ask why I'm on this journey then it's it's, it's their problem.
0: Have you had any of that? Have you had any any negativity, any, any, any messages or DMs, or like anyone like questioning white Islam? And because let's be honest about it, bro. The last last twenty two years, we've had the war on terror. We've had two invasions of Muslim countries. We've had a, a media that's held bent on presenting Islam or misrepresenting Islam rather. So it's not we're not exactly the the most fashionable uh, group to join. While it's been the fastest growing group in the world, we're not necessarily the most fashionable. <laughs> In, the, in that in that regard, so have you had any kind of negativity since becoming a Muslim or, or announcing it when you became Muslim?
1: Not 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 since no the um I wasn't sure I wasn't sure what the response on social media would be, and it was phenomenal. I I think out of I don't even know how many how many comments maybe like five thousand comments and messages, there, there might have been a handful of 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 negative comments yeah. and to be honest they were all about they were all about my tattoos saying well, <laughs> oh, you can't be a, you can't be a muslim because you got tattoos and the funny thing was the only ones that said that were not muslims yeah so it's just it's just, again that misconception one of the, one of the, one of the many misconceptions about islam and um i just message back and say my 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 skin's as as clean as a newborn baby alhamdulillah cuz i've taken my too. shahada and everything everything i did that was was pre shahada so and and people ask me i'll, I'll throw in people ask me they say do you regret getting your tattoos? And I say, no. And people will take it the wrong way, but every, every, everything I've done in my life, every single decision I've made in my life, yeah. for some reason has led me to Islam. So if I was to go back and do everything again, I would do everything the exact same for the fear of not finding Islam. Bro, that includes ab- getting the tattoos.
0: Absolutely, and this is what we call Qadr. This is called Divine Decree. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala set things up for Jake Matthews in a particular mm-hmm. way He's done for all his slaves throughout time. for that for, time for, You understand He set things up for you Not to deviate from that plan and He knew the outcome of that plan He just needed you to get there And uh, exactly. so, therefore, so, so therefore To change anything in that journey Would basically mean You would not have got here uh, But that's Qadr That's divine decree Alhamdulillah um, You know you mentioned Earlier on the podcast You guys Growing up You didn't have any Addictions Or like you didn't have Any bad habits Right um, and and again, and you're always involved in sport. Now that's interesting. Does that I mean? Does that mean even recreationally, you never dabbled in things which were socially normal in the for for Western non-Muslims, like, like maybe drink or stuff, this kind of stuff. You never had an issue with any of that stuff.
1: I can I can count on one hand the amount of times I've drank alcohol. Um, I think I've been maybe been drunk twice in my life. Okay. And. Never touched drugs in my entire life. Um I was always an athlete. I mean, I, I always had that feeling like, oh, if I if I drink alcohol, I'm gonna lose all my fitness and all my abilities. It was just this superstition that I had, which I still carry till today. Um the only one the only one being is, you know, you jump on some show with with my Muslim yeah. friends sometimes. But, uh, <laughs> I still feel like oh my car- all my cardio is gonna go, I'm gonna lose all my yeah. cardio. Um but now I, I just I don't know, I just I've always been very, very headstrong. I feel like I was cut from a different cloth, a cloth that doesn't really exist anymore. Thank you. And not and um, like still trying, trying to sound modest. I guess. Um, I just I feel like I'm. i just I was born too late.
0: Bro, one, um, look as you're describing yeah. as you're describing all of this. I'm trying to I'm trying to paint a picture, which is something which is very telling. You grew up first and foremost, uh, in your own words, someone who was committed to sport, always involved in sport, rugby, uh, swimming. You said all those things. At the same time, you've never really had any issues whatsoever with substance abuse, right? So you say that there was a clarity of mind from a young age, right? As well as as well mm-hmm. as a, a mm-hmm. commitment to discipline and and, and and things like this. Um, one would argue, and one could very easily say, my brother Jake, is that things were set up for you from from a young age, my brother. Honestly, I'm bit, I'm, mm. so because those are the kind of things I mean look Let's be frank about it And anyone listening Including non-Muslims You know There's Muslims who 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 have issues with substance abuse And and, and they divulge into things Recreationally They do haram They do drugs They do alcohol They'll get into relationships Which are forbidden and prohibited In their religion and so forth But I can confidently say that Those things Are not seen as positive Within the Muslim community and it's not something you kind of do publicly and think you get praised for it or it's socially acceptable. And the reason why I'm saying that is that you never had those issues. So many, you know, there's so many brothers and sisters that came to Islam. And the things that prevented them were things like the social aspects. Oh, how how would I stop socializing when I've socialized like this particular way for most of my life? Or oh, I'm with a non-Muslim partner. What do I do? So there's things that prevent you from Accepting Islam or delaying that In your case you seem like you didn't have much my brother. It's like wow like You were committed to sport Never really had an issue with drugs and drink uh, There was a clarity of mind You had an idea of commitment And you, in your own words You said it just kind of just led you to, to Islam
1: Yeah it's, And when people ask me how You know was it like a When I took my Shahada did I You know I know people feel like They feel like their body's been cleansed with water And they feel like I, uh, not in a bad way, but I say to people, I said, I didn't feel any different. Okay. Because I feel like I've been Muslim for a long, long time, the way okay. I've lived my life. I was definitely happy. Like I was, I was the happiest I've ever been in my life. But it's just the same when people say, when I had my first child, mm-hmm. oh, how much did your life change? And I said, it, di- it didn't change because I've always been a very, very family orientated person. Everything I've done has been around family and wanting children. So it's no different with, with Islam. I've always been, you know, again, try, trying to sound as modest as I can, but I've always been very ethical and, and moral in the way I go about things and been very family-orientated, never, you know, never done anything haram. And so it just, it just fit right into my life. It wasn't like a big awakening. It just felt like it was, it was almost like finally, finally I've, I've found where I'm supposed to be. Maybe I should have been here years ago, but I'm, I'm here now and that's the main thing.
0: Alhamdulillah. Uh, those things which you described, um, you said you were always someone who's ethical, someone who's always moral. You, someone who's always, you know, th- these are very laudable and praiseworthy attributes and principles for any group of people to have. Um, again, um, do you think that those things were synonymous to your understanding of Islam as you were doing research? That's
1: exactly right. Exactly right. And it just, it just fit. I didn't have to change. I didn't have to become a new person it was it just fit into who I was obviously there's some things that I have added in like like the prayer which i from from the first day you know i started I started praying and you know I've always been a disciplined person and like like you said you know some people find these values like when we say we're, we're cut from a different cloth we find like these values we have they say oh they're dated they're archaic they're not they're they're something that will never be outdated they're timeless because the alternative to that is degeneracy. And Thank you. like, let's not get I canceled. Let's not get, cance- let's not get yeah, canceled here, canceled yeah. but <laughs> the way the, the way the world's, the way the world's going at the moment, it yeah. just, that, that just motivated me even more. Um, not for myself, cause I know that these, these things that are happening, they're never going to sway me, um, from what I believe in my values, but my children, my grandchildren, you know, I need, I also need to start creating some something to leave behind for them to follow some guidelines and and um, so that was another big motivator to why I wanted to really dive into Islam and and instill, instill not you know these these values and these um these guidelines not just into myself but into into my children my family going on.
0: Alhamdulillah, um, the day you became Muslim, the day you took your shahada, talk us through. Who was with you? What salah? After which salah? Or before which salah? Did you do it? Well, tell me, tell me about the day. Tell me about the day you became Muslim, bro.
1: So it was, it was, uh, it was just small. I said, you know, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it at a jumad or in front of a lot of people. Yeah. I just want to get my small group of guys, which were all they're all my martial arts friends, pretty much. Okay. And so I think there was maybe like five or six of us all up. Brother, it was, was very bra- small. Was brother
0: brother Mukmin there.
1: He was, yeah, of course. He's, he's my best friend, so he, he was absolutely there. And, yeah, we went to the mosque. We sat down We sat down with the Sheikh for, we probably talked for about an hour. And he was, and, and the first thing that struck me was he wasn't in a rush to get me to, to do my Shahada. He was, he actually probably asked me about three or four times, like, you know, you're doing this of your own free will. You like, you're sure you want to do this? Yeah. Do you just want to learn about it today? Do you want to do Shahada another day? It was it wasn't forceful at all, and that was and that that lured me in even more again. And um, in fact, I was the one that was in a rush, of saying like I want to, well, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. But he made sure he ran through every aspect of you know the pillars and the commitments that we need to fulfil. And 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 actually the leniency, which I hope I hope there's a lot of non-Muslims that watch this that might have it, you know the wrong idea or wrong misconceptions of Islam. But I was I was shocked at the leniency. The, the Sheikh told me a story that he his whole family converted together and uh-huh. his, his father continued to drink alcohol uh-huh. and yeah, no one in the community really gave him too much of a hard time because they understood you know, each month, each year, he's drinking less and less uh-huh. and eventually he stopped drinking alcohol and, and that was his journey and they said, everyone's on their own journey. They said, don't think that tomorrow you have to wake up and pray five prayers. He said, "Start with one." He said, "Pick one. Start with one." He said, "Take it slow." He said, "Don't. We actually don't want you to dive into it too quickly and try and learn too much at once." They said, "It's a slow. It's a slow progress, and everyone's journey is different." And that it's it's just one one thing on top of the other, just kept reinforcing that this is this is what I want to do. And um, yeah, so we talked about all that for about an hour, and then and then um, we did the shahada, you know, tuck beard, all that, and big hugs. And then it was right before duhu um, prayer, okay. so awesome. then we went and prayed together. And and it, again, it was on a Sunday afternoon, so it was very, it was very quiet. It was uh, very quiet, intimate. The other brothers that I, I didn't know come up and hugged me, and and you know they had tears in their eyes, and it was just, it was just I, I can't, I can't explain. It. I can't put it into words. Just the, you know, you understand when when they say as a Muslim you have brothers around the world, people you've never met. Yeah. And you hear them say that, but until you're actually a Muslim and you feel that, it's, it's, you could see someone you've never met before on the other side of the world, and you really feel like they are your brother. It's, it's, it's really, it's insane. It is. Crazy, crazy feeling. It is.
0: I swear to you, it's one of the things. So I train uh, with predominantly uh, non-Muslim brothers. My, my my jiu-jitsu coach is a non-Muslim, big up to coach David Webb. And um, there is a comradeship and a brotherhood that comes with rolling in the mats and training MMA, definitely, without a shadow mm. of a doubt. But the cementing of Islamic brotherhood—literally, the fact that there is someone in Indonesia, someone in Morocco, uh, some random person that you've never seen—some Muhammad, some Abdul, some Ali—and when you converse with them on the on the on the base of Islamic brotherhood, it is as if it's as genuine as
1: you can get, right, Jake? Yes. Yeah. It,
0: it's not even. You feel what... like you've
1: known them. You feel like you've known them for years.
0: Yeah. What things have you struggled with, if anything, in terms of the ritualistic acts? I mean, there's the wudu. There's keeping the wudu. Uh then there's there's always the five prayers. Of the prayers, majority generally struggle with fajr, uh, or praying Isha in jamaah. Um you've just completed your fast Ramadan. How long was how long would the fast in Australia?
1: It's about it's about thirteen hours. Okay, roughly. that's quite that's quite short. It's not too bad, yeah. Yeah, that's quite short. It was it was it actually actually went down to almost 12 hours because we have a daylight savings. So it reduced by almost an hour by the end of towards the end of the month. Okay. It went from about 13 hours to 12 hours.
0: Okay. So in the UK, we had 15 hours. How was your first Ramadan? Have you, have you struggled with anything, any of those things that I've mentioned?
1: Not, not really, to be honest. I mean, the initially before I went public, it was just trying to not make people awkward. You know, there's, there's things that we do as Muslims that, that, um, you know, because obviously people didn't wouldn't realize that I'm Muslim, so that was another big reason that I wanted to go public. Was it's just now it's out there, people know. So if they see me do something, they don't have to ask me. I don't have to explain myself over and over again. People won't get weird and awkward. They just know. So I can I can be myself around everyone now. Um, that that was one of the main things. You know, like oh, I want I want to go and pray, but what do I tell them? I'm going to go hide hide in a room for five minutes and. So that was probably the main thing that I struggled with, just because I wanted to be, I wanted to be myself, and I wanted to, you know, obviously, like do my worship or, or anything else that comes with being a Muslim, and I didn't want to have to feel weird or hide around anyone. So, and once I went public, that was over, and everything else has been has been fine since then. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, never been happier in my life, and the, and the Ramadan was great. I, I definitely felt the benefits physically, mentally. Um, even afterwards, like uh, you can ask uh, Brother Mutman. You know, we probably spend two, three hundred dollars on coffees and breakfast throughout the week. And I think you know, since since um, since the end of Ramadan, since Eid, I think we've had breakfast one time. So just having that, you know, that month of you know going home to eat, waiting waiting till you're home to eat, that's flowed on into into our life outside of Ramadan. And the benefit to that is, is we're not spending as much money. We're home more with the family. Um, so there's, there's, there's massive benefits even outside of the physical, the physical benefits.
0: How did you adjust training around Ramadan? I know you posted a recent clip uh, where you kind of like uh, decreased the output, not necessarily the intensity or the intensity, but it was a short clip. How do you adjust to your Ramadan training with injuries?
1: Yeah, pretty much just waiting waiting and until right before IFTA to have my session. So in the morning, it would be something moderate, like lifting weights, uh, you know, I had a few injuries to deal with. So it kind of, in a weird way, you know, obviously I don't like being injured, but in a weird way, it worked out because my training load had to decrease because of my injury, which which allowed me to focus more on my, my work, my, my study, my prayers. Um, and then in, in regards to you know when when I did pick the intensity back up, I'd just wait till till the afternoon. I'd get my heavy sweat in, and then right after I could break fast, rehydrate, and um, and yeah, that's really the only the only thing I had to tweak.
0: And uh, how how did you find? Uh, did you did you manage to attend any uh, congregational Taraweeh prayers?
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah so I'm still gonna pronounce it right, but we um we did a full night. Uh, Obviously, the last 10 nights of Ramana for Leil Tulkadar. And, um, yeah, you know, we we go to Juma every Friday, you know, myself and, and my, my close friends. Um, yeah, so Juma, we did Tarawih prayer at the mosque together. Uh, we, we were very excited the first night, yeah. <laughs> so we stayed up the entire night. We didn't sleep at all. Ashanallah. And then, obviously, you know... Um, going to work the next day or going to training, yeah. it was hard. So we know next time we've got to pace ourselves, <laughs> finish Tataweeb, read, read for an hour, and then we're going to sleep next time. Because um, we stayed up the entire night. just, re- we, just we couldn't sleep. We are so excited. Mashallah. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a good experience. And, and also, I, I'm, I'm someone I hate meeting new people. I, I just don't like meeting new people and talking to new people. But when I'm in the when I'm in the mosque, it's it's different. When someone comes up to me, I, I want I want those engagements. I want people to come up and talk to me. Um, you know, I want to hear people's stories. I want to hear you know if there's other reverts there. I want to talk to them. So it's in a sense it's sort of opened up, opened me up in that way, um, as well. So yeah, just another benefit to add in.
0: Bro, your, your face changes like, like I'm watching you on screen brother. You know when you talk about Islam <laughs> Your face changes you have, a, you have a sense of warmth And a smile that comes to your face just, just tell the people about You know To the Muslims Who don't value it as much As they should And the non-Muslims Who will be probably questioning Why this bond is so deep When you literally know nothing About the other person Tell us a bit about The Islamic Brotherhood They've experienced pre-Islam which has only been reaffirmed since you've become an Islam, as per what you've been saying. What is it so powerful, that, that feeling? Um, those 5,000 messages, bro, that you would have got, I'd you any money if you were to go for every single one of them, they, I, I think you'd have the whole world covered because that's just the way Islamic Brotherhood, well, you literally could be someone else in another part of the world or a random person in the mosque who you don't know for Adam, but you'll embrace a conversation with them, an engagement with them, you know? Um, tell us a bit about that. What you experienced pre-Islam with your boys growing up, and then if it was the same or more since you become Muslim.
1: On 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 their side, my friends' side, there was no difference. They treated me. They treated me just like I was a brother, even pre-Islam. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't, you know. Obviously, obviously, the connection now because of myself and the way I am towards them, the connection is stronger. But they, but they, they always treated me. There's no difference between pre-Islam and, and post-Islam, which which is very, very, you know, it just shows their character. Um, and now, obviously, with my input at that level, the bond is stronger there. So, so yeah, which, again, it goes to show their character that they didn't treat me any different because I wasn't a Muslim or because I was a Muslim. Um, yeah, and with the messages on, on Instagram, every single one of those thousands of messages, every single one put a massive smile on my face. And you could tell that you could just tell they come from a genuine place. Even though it's a comment and it's typed on Instagram, you could just feel that it was it was genuine. And um and like I said, it, out of uh, there must have been maybe five comments out of the entire the entire array of comments that were were of a negative. And, and nothing was actually too bad. You know, there was a few comments about my my um my tattoo. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you know, Jesus is, is our saviour And I said, yeah, I agree He, he is the saviour He's coming back yeah. And then they're like, what are you talking about? I said, maybe look into Islam before, you know, before you comment
0: 100% um,
1: Yeah, yeah, but it's just Honestly, I, I thought the response would be the opposite
0: That's wicked, man. That's beautiful, mashallah Listen, we were speaking about this before uh, the cameras came on You know, mashallah Your reversion Comes at a time where there's been a, a spike in UFC fighters becoming Muslim. So there's been yourself, there's been Rodrigo Nascimento from American Top Team. There was Kevin Lee, who's formerly with Eagle FC, but he's come back to the UFC. He's also in welterweight division, I think. So um,
1: uh, and there's been we've no... fought before, yeah.
0: When did you and Kevin fight?
1: I think I was like 20. I think it was, t- it was a long time ago. No way. I am still lightweight. Yeah, yeah. Because you had you for three exactly. years. You because for three
0: <laughs> years you went into lightweight, didn't you? I think about three years, two thousand and
1: fourteen to seventeen. My first, I think my first six or seven fights were lightweight.
0: Wasn't it welterweight? Did- yeah. Okay, okay. And and yeah,
1: you came I here. was welterweight. I was pre UFC, and my first seven fights in UFC were were at lightweight.
0: And then you went to welterweight.
1: And then obviously from 19 to nineteen to 22, I grew, I obviously grew bigger and developed and yeah. had some serious health concerns cutting weight. So I went back up to welterweight.
0: Sorry, what was the outcome of you on Kevin Lee's fight?
1: He, he beat me. Yeah. Beat that was, beat. that was the first, that was when he started his tear. Okay.
0: And uh, yeah. you both are currently on welterweight, both Muslim brothers. I pray you guys don't actually face each other. I'm sorry, I can make that. Dark. I
1: actually do too. Yeah, even though you know, like everyone wants a rematch to try and get it back, yeah. I'd actually prefer not to. He, he's honestly the nicest UFC fighter I've ever met. He people people find it hard to believe just because of the way he hypes fights, but if if I like, he just after the fight, and we'd see each other a few years down the track, and he just like give me a massive hug, and honestly, one of the nicest fighters I've ever met in my life.
0: Because when I was doing a bit of research, because because I might. Kevin might come on to the podcast as well And I said And many will be thinking I we'll hope the two brothers don't fight In the same way that nearly Bilal, Muhammad and Hamza You might have nearly fought I didn't want them to fight yes. um, There might even be a possibility yeah, they could, There's all these possibilities where, where Muslim brothers Can end up fighting each other It happens in the UFC It happens everywhere else In all levels uh, of competing yes. um, But the, there's been a spike In fighters becoming Muslim There's even a video of Alex Pereira Taking his Shahada uh, I think that was in 2017, 18 or 19, not sure. But there is the video, it's on YouTube. What do you think? Obviously guidance with Allah, bro. Um, someone can be born a Muslim mm-hmm. and they can die a non-Muslim. And someone can be a non-Muslim, the vast majority of their life and Allah guides them to Islam. It can happen, right? And it happens. And it's happened since our father Adam, alayhi salam. Um, but what what do you think there is? Is there anything that will kind of bring fighters to look at or combat sportsmen to look into Islam? Is there anything already existing in their life that would make them want to look into Islam?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, the, for one, the discipline, I think just the discipline. Um, it's, it's a healthy way to live. But that, that, was, that was what I, I got out of it initially was, you know, you're not drinking alcohol. You know the the things that we eat. You know, not eating pork, which I never really ate much pork to be honest. Anyway, so another point that fit into my life. And you know, I just always thought like, oh, getting up in the morning and and, and praying just seems like it's a it's a good way to get your body moving. That was one of my initial thoughts when I first you know learned about like knew about um, you know the, the prayers throughout the day. So I think the main thing is discipline. But this is not this is not just confined to fighters or athletes. This goes out to successful businessmen. Um, you know, I, th- I think I saw Alfie Best, who's one of the richest people in the yes, UK. I'm yes, pretty yes, sure best, yeah. he can, you know what I mean? Like, like people from the outside, you look at it. What, like why would he need to, he's a billionaire. Why would he need to do that? What does he need? You know, they, Islam must give you something really, it just must give you, you know, it must be that, Good that it's just for a billionaire to join I can't even put it into words like uh, for a billionaire to want to revert it's just it just seems so so crazy but uh, I think so what I put it down to was you know we're obviously we're all, all quite successful, whether it's businessmen or athletes when you get to a certain level where that's i don't know those external things aren't enough to to motivate us and keep us on the right track whether you know you reach a certain financial point where you know, like I said, it's hard to get up and train when you're sleeping in silk sheets. For example, um it's it's just it's like an extra push that we need, I, and that's what I found. I found like life's life's very comfortable where where we are right now. So it just added that discipline back into my life that I had when I was hungry and when I was younger. And I think just yeah, you know, like like you say, like people said, oh, they'll make they'll, when they get successful or get rich, become a millionaire, they'll retire, which if you ask millionaires, it's not the case. They want to continue working. They want to continue getting better, continue bettering themselves. You know, whether it, whether it's in business or as a, you know, in a, in a personal journey as a person. And you know, we operate on a different level, so it's probably hard for the average person to understand. But you know, for people, probably for the people who who need need something the least, we're the ones who go and seek out you know religion or or in islam you know you even see like actors um who is it which actor mark Wahlberg, for example he's like he's always on instagram like guys stay prayed up stay prayed up he's you know like why would he like he's a you know he's a multi-millionaire successful actor why would he need it and that should that should really show people who are not religiously inclined that there is something there. There is massive benefit to be gained from, from, from being on a religious journey, and that's that's what I put it down to. Is just we just can't draw any more motivation from the material from the materialistic things of, of life. So we go beyond that to something spiritual.
0: How much of an, how much of an ambassador do you think uh, our brother Khabib Nourmagomedov has been, in terms of a, a role model Muslim athlete? Um, someone who's exemplified, um, the morals and values that we've been speaking about, um, in the UFC or in the world of combat sports. How effective or how good or bad do you think he's been in terms of an ambassador for the dean?
1: Oh, ma- massively, and not not just for, not just for Muslims, but for for non-Muslims too. Pre pre-Islam, he was my favorite fighter, and I just looked at him, just the way he handled himself inside and outside of the octagon the way he handled the whole Mulberger fight you know people say oh he jumped the octagon he had a fight in the crowd but he's like no don't look at that look at look at the months and months and months leading up to it what he endured the way he bit his tongue the way he stayed respectful and the biggest thing that made me say okay he's my favorite fighter is that he gave up potentially becoming the to me he's the best ever but potentially on paper becoming the best ever, he gave that up to keep a promise to his mum. That that is what sold me, and I just said he is he is the goat. And people people hate it when I say that on social media, but I always put it up. I say Khabib's the goat, but they don't understand what I'm talking about. It's not just what he did inside the octagon; it's the, what what he did outside the octagon is what makes him the goat. And as a professional athlete, as a professional in any industry, it's not about it's not just about what you do in that industry. Or what you do in the sport, it's, it's, it's who you are outside of the sport. To me, that's that's what makes someone the greatest of all
0: time. 100%, bro. And there'll be like a billion plus Muslims that'll agree with you, and many non Muslims that will agree with you as well. I mean, but let's look at the UFC now and let's look at the Muslim demographic. And I say this because the Muslim fighters you'll find in many cases are quite overtly Muslim, meaning it's not a case as, some of the Muslim fighters, they're Muslim by name, and you don't tend to see much from them. You know, they'll say, Allah Akbar, you know, all praises to Allah, Alhamdulillah. They'll do the, put the, the, suj- the sujood. You'll see them put their hands together. There's many of these outward signs. You've got a whole generation of Dagestanis currently in the UFC uh, with the current lightweight champion, Islam Akhachif. You've got Hamzat. You've got new Muslim, convert brothers have come into the scene Jake Matthews, Kevin Lee, Rodrigo Nascimento. Um, you've got you've you've got Central Asian fighters. There's a lot of Muslim fighters in the UFC. A lot of visible bearded, no to small mustache guys, Muslim brothers that are fighting. There's loads, mm. right? Uh, and it's actually very nice to see. It's warm to see it because, you know, when you look at mainstream media and popular depictions, right? You know, you'll never find you know. Did you ever remember the 90s movies, the gangster movies, the Cosa Nostra movies from Casino to Goodfellas to mm-hmm. you, you know that that was organized crime being, uh, you know, uh, celebrated? It was, it was, it was glorified, hard. yeah, it was glorified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we had a freaking generation of people wanting to be like the Italian gangsters of the, the five families of New York. Um, you find that with gangs, you find that with drug dealing and narcotics. You have entire series, um, eulogizing uh, Pablo Escobar, you literally do, narcos, you, you know, you have this, whereas with Muslims. You never find something that glorifying Al-Qaeda or something that's glorifying an act of terrorism or an act of crime whereas those other crimes have always been glorified they've been serious popular popular. so again it's not fashionable it's not perceptively fashionable to be Muslim in this day and age but the the divine irony of it is that the fastest growing religion on earth as we speak is Islam and Mm. Christianity is on the decline in the West and I always urge my Christian friends or friends who come from a Christian background, I guess, hey man, look, the next progression is for you to basically look into Islam. I said this to uh, Jake Shields uh, of uh, American Jiu-Jitsu. I've
1: heard he's, I've heard he's, he's interested, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And, and I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah guides him to Islam. I mean, and I said say, I say that to his face as well. I said, look, Jake, man, everything that you're espousing It just sounds like Islam to me. That's the thing. Mm, And I I can't... And I'm just being honest with you. The things that you're describing on Twitter and and in your videos and of late anyway, you're just describing Islam to me. That's it. Um, Just look into it. And if you have any questions, ask. But with an increasing number of Muslim fighters in the MMA, I mean in UFC, do you think we're going to see more fighters becoming Muslim or looking into it? Do you think?
1: Absolutely. I think think there's a lot of... uh... Like what I call myself was like like a, like a closet Muslim okay. for lack of a better term. Okay. I think there's a lot. I think there's actually a lot like that that are just they are Muslim but they're not overt about it for for whatever reason you know they might think people would will react in a in a negative way. Maybe maybe they maybe it might be something to do with family. But I definitely like I don't, I've I've seen this firsthand with people that I know. I've known them since primary school and. Like i never never would have thought never would have thought they'd become Muslim, and if you had to asked me five years ago if I would become muslim you know i would have, i would have said no like like i wouldn't I wouldn't have thought and I just think there's a lot of people that are that are on the journey or they have reverted and they're just very very covert about it for for you know for whatever reason
0: what advice would you give any closet muslim UFC fighters who because people's reasons And realities differ right As you mentioned It could be family It could be Korean brand It could be social It could be A plethora of reasons But what advice Would you give to any Any of your UFC fighters Or anyone actually Because it's not just Restricted to UFC fighters But that's because That's your industry That's your community uh, To one extent Professionally What would your advice be To closet Muslims um, Those who Have an element of fear Or An element of uh, Reluctance to perhaps profess publicly or, or identify publicly, if any, w- would you have any words of advice?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't like to say like I, I, I'm coaching or giving advice because I'm not. I'm by no means scholar as a Muslim, but my with for my own experience, when before I went public, it felt like I had chains. I had. I was restricted. I had a. You know, I was. I was. I was in a. I was. I was in a box in terms of my religion and like I said I couldn't be I couldn't be overt when I wanted to be I couldn't say to someone how hey, I'm going to go pray because they're going to be like, oh, like what do you mean like you know pray and I have to explain to them and there's, there's going to be a shock to them and I might create that awkwardness as soon as I just bit the bullet and went public that just lifted all the weight of the world just lifted off my shoulders and and you realize that you know I think I think, you know, only recently, in the last few years, but people's attitudes towards Islam have changed massively, and you you'll probably find that the the response will be good. I think most most revivals you'll find that you know if anything the negative response might come from from your the people closest to you, but but in general, on average, the the response for me was was great, and like I said, the weight of the world came off my shoulders, and now I'm able to be who I am and be myself and and now my my worship, my prayer, my my study, it has is just elevated because now I don't have to go into a corner and hide to do those things. So I can just do them, do them out in the open.
0: Bringing the podcast to a close, uh, last June, uh, UFC two hundred and seventy five, you had that spectacular knockout against Andre Fialo. You got a uh, performance of the night. Uh, you competed again in December against Matthew Uh That was a UD loss. Um, you were supposed to fight Gabe Green, but you had injuries. Um, what's next? What are you able what's to next? tell us? I've... What What are you able to tell us? What we Yeah,
1: no, there? I mean the, the the we've just just gotten the green light to to get back into a training camp. So I've pretty much we've worded up the UFC. We've said, you know, look, I'm good to go. Let's get me in there as soon as possible. I know there's the the international fight weeks coming up. Yeah, Alex Volkanovski's on it, and there's a bunch of other Aussie guys. So potentially we might fight in July. I said I'm I'm able to go as early as late June, and uh, but I've, as always, my entire career I've always left it in the hands of the UFC. You know they got the best matchmakers in the world. You know they are they are the matchmakers for a reason. So I've always left it to them, and you know especially coming off a loss, I don't like to get a big head and think that I can dictate. Mm-hmm. Who or where I fight after a loss, you know, I have to earn that. I have to earn that back. Um, and and speaking about that last loss, to be honest, I think it was almost like I felt like a because I knew before my fight that I wanted to to revert and take my shahada, and I just felt like there was something missing in that fight. And I mm-hmm. and now I think whatever was missing in that fight, it's not missing anymore, and I have that back. In, okay. in, you know, if that makes sense. Um, so it was almost like that was a sign, like, hey, you need you need. You need know, that next step to level up, which is on, on that spiritual level of, of finding Islam. So I think that's there now. Um, so I'm excited for the next fight. And I'm going to have a massive, a massive, massive support around the world. And I can't wait.
0: Um, you've been with the UFC for nine years. You know, that, that's, that's mm. the, yeah. I can't, considering, you know, you're were, you were 19 years old, you you're a young man. You came from the Ultimate Fighter. That was generally the background. Um, do you see your future still with the UFC?
1: Absolutely. It's I know a lot of fighters say this, but I, I honestly feel like I'm just hitting my stride just getting started. And pe you know, people you know, people say I've been in the UFC for nine years. Other guys like Israel Asanya he's in the UFC for four years and he's done what he's done, but they have to understand that I I grew up in the UFC. I had to learn on the job. A lot of these guys are established before they get to the UFC. You know, they're world yeah. champions yeah. elsewhere. Yeah, so they're ready, they're ready to go. They're ready to make a run to the to the title, whereas, you know, I had to fight killers while still learning. I'm 19, I was, a, I was a baby, and I'm only 28 now, so I'm only just getting to that peak age where they say mentally, physically, you start you start getting that maturity, that fight IQ, that old man strength. Um, so I, I definitely felt that the last few fights, even the last fight where I lost, it was, it was a tough fight, but I felt I definitely took away a lot of, a lot of positives from that fight, um, which are only going to, it gives me more confidence for the next one. So I definitely feel over the next, you know, three, four, five years, that's going to be my, my peak era. And Inshallah. and e- each and every, yeah, each and every fight, I feel like it's my first fight. That's it. That's the excitement that I have and the love that I have for the sport. And, and now it, I feel like a new person after my reversion. I feel like I've got a completely new um, support base and following, which just adds to that excitement.
0: Um, have you ever visited the Muslim community in Lakemba? Lakemba has a very famous Muslim community, man.
1: No, I've, I saw I saw a lot of their gatherings throughout yeah. Ramadan, and I I want to. Oh, now I want to, I actually want to go there. Yeah. I would have loved to go there before. I've I've heard of the town before, but I didn't understand it was to that extent. So I definitely love to get there.
0: Yeah, so Lakemba is. I've you know I have many many of my friends and contacts are from that part of Sydney, and Lakemba is like even outside beyond Australia, it's known as you know. But there's a strong Muslim community, very vibrant. Uh, and you know, it comes it comes to life on Eid and Ramadan and on Fridays. So I was just curious whether you've uh, you've been. Um personal advice. I want to ask you something personally. Um mm-hmm. been doing Jitsu for 10, 11 months, still a white belt, competed once, got smashed. Um three bit three bits of advice, three bits of advice to aspiring, newly beginning, but committed white belts, three tips. As, as a as a, a jiu jitsu black, black belt yourself,
1: I mean jiu jitsu is unlike any other combat sport. So the main thing I say to people is, you know, you, you can't you can't hit the pads like you can in boxing and get good at boxing. You have to you have to put the hours in on the mat. So the first thing is is being consistent. I think they say, you know, try and get two three two or three rolls a week consistently, and just and just no matter how the body's feeling, you have to go in and train. So consistency breeds success, and you know I, I know guys that, that, that do that and they get you know to their to a black belt level or a higher level, you know, within a few years. And I know guys that train that way and it takes them 10, 15 years. But like everyone's got their own journey, everyone's going to progress at their own rate. It's just that consistency that's key. You know, if if you quit and stop, you're never gonna you're never gonna get there anyway. So you might as well just keep getting on the mat. Hip training. So the first one's consistency. The second one is and this this is a like a touchy subject, but I've always been very um liberal as a coach. If I find if I find that a student of mine outgrows me as a coach, I'll actually recommend that they move on to to bigger and better things. And so this so if you feel that you know you've plateaued, you've outgrown the gym that you're at, and you're obviously as a white belt you know you you can learn a lot from any gym that you're at but you do get to a point where you might outgrow that gym so don't be scared to move on to find high level coaches high level training partners so that's number 2 and number 3 i mean try try to bring friends into your circle that are on the same journey so you know and and i guess it's it, it's the same as islam you know Try and find brothers and friends that are, you know, devout in their in their worship and their study and the things that we need to do as Muslims. Same on the mat. Find the guys that are coming consistently, that are training, that are competing. Surround yourself with those guys. When you've got a a, a crew, even a small crew of guys that are on the same path, you'll find that you progress faster together. So always seek out the best guys in the gym, even if you're getting tapped out every every session. That's that's what you want. Losing the gym, so you don't lose in the mat. So always seek out those type of people in the gym, um, and you can tell straight away when you walk in who the who those guys are, mm-hmm. who are the ones that are always there, who take it seriously, who want to. They're not they're not just you know what I call weekend warriors, which is nothing wrong with people doing it for fun. But if you have aspirations to be a high level competitor or reach your black belt, surround yourself with those that want the same have the same goals. So those those are three consistency. You Know if you do it, you know, go to the gym, move on, and you know, obviously, the, the, the tight knit crew, the main guys that you train with.
0: Wicked. Three quick questions I have for you. Uh, you know, when you mentioned on point number one about consistency, so is there a level of mm-hmm. soreness that you just have to train through? You know, the niggly ones and yeah. your fingers and your hands, and you know, you know, you, the ones do you just train through those? Yeah,
1: when when one, one of my students comes up and they say, I've got a sore finger, sore wrist, sore toe. I just say, welcome to martial arts. <laughs> if you if you take a day off every time you have a little niggle or a little injury, you will never train. Obviously, different, you know, if you tweak your knee or a big joint, it's something different. Of course, different, if you've know some,
0: torn something or broken something, of course. But, but the niggly naggly exactly, ones. But fin-
1: yeah, no, you hurt a finger, you tape it to the one next to it, and you keep rolling. Um, you get a blood nose, you wipe it off, you keep rolling. Even if you, even if you do tweak a knee, like obviously... I set up, rest, get it scanned. Okay, it's good. We can always work around injuries. So even if, you know, so for example, you know, with my injury that I had, I couldn't play um, guard passing or top position. So I'd start working on my guard. So there's always ways to work around injuries. Um, But yeah, if if you've got little niggles, just that's part of the life we chose.
0: When does a white belt know when he, he or she should compete?
1: Pretty quick to be honest um, I say to people stay consistent for two months and you have you have the basic understanding of positions you know fun, uh, foundation submissions so don't worry about leg locks and all this fancy okay. stuff but foundation submissions you'll understand you understand positions you understand movement of, of, of sweeps and escapes um, and once you have that you, you know you, you could go and compete safely. And obviously there's some people that are just naturally athletically gifted, and they just take to it a lot quicker. But at the end of the, time, at the, end of the day, you, you, as long as you have that down pat, that, that foundational movement and submissions and defense, and you know how to tap out, you're not going to get hurt in the jiu-jitsu fight. If um, if it was a amateur boxing fight or kickboxing fight, I would I would have a different opinion. But in jiu-jitsu, it's, it's not likely you're going to get injured as long as you know when to tap out.
0: And lastly, how often should we be doing weights besides Jiu-Jitsu? Are you, of the, are you of the thinking for those who are starting that more mat time is always better for you to get to jiu Meaning, um, are, are there other things that can complement the Jiu-Jitsu? Weights, running. What's, what's, what's your thing that it, you recommend?
1: In terms of conditioning, so MMA is a different story, but for just if you were talking about just Jiu-Jitsu, yeah, just jiu-jitsu. there's no there's nothing you can do for conditioning. That's going to simulate. It's going to simulate, um, a roll in jiu-jitsu. There's so nothing in the conditioning that is just rolling is the best conditioning you can do. Lifting weights is always good. Um, you know, if anything, I'd say calisthenics work. So body weight type training, yeah. a lot of core, a lot, a lot of core and flexibility and mobility. So it's a lot of small body weight, I guess, training, um, Maybe do some compound lifts once a week to, to make sure you have got that strength. But man, mat time and and rolling—that's the best conditioning for your body that you're gonna get. There's I know I know I know CrossFit freaks, CrossFit competitors that have that are strong, have good cardio, good endurance. Three minutes into a roll, they're they're dead. Um, and vice versa, you know, a high-level Jiu-Jitsu competitor, if they went and did another sport, that condition doesn't carry into that sport. So. If you want as, as, as specific as you can get, just roll.
0: Jake, it was an absolute pleasure having you on, my dear brother. Honestly, Um, great speaking with you. Thank you for giving us your time. Thank you for joining us uh late where you are right now. It was a pleasure having you on. And I, you'll be in our du'as, my dear brother.
1: Thank you, brother. appreciate it. And you'll be in mine as well. And um, yeah, awesome chat. If you ever want me back on, I'm happy to jump back on. And Had if a great ever, time.
0: And if you're ever in the UK... Inshallah, we should meet. We shall meet, and you are formally invited to my house, my brother. To spend some time with us.
1: Thank you, appreciate. It. Inshallah, Inshallah, this year we're we're looking at traveling a lot this year. Yeah, and that's one of the places on our list. So hopefully we'll get there. But I'll hit you up absolutely.
0: Make sure. Take care, my brother. Wa alaikum.
1: Welcome, Salam, brother. Have a good one.
0: Brothers and sisters, that was our new brother in Islam, Jake Matthews. Uh, Keep him in your du'as and keep all our new Muslim brothers and sisters in your du'as and for the guidance of their families and their loved ones. I mean, if you enjoyed today's podcast, you remember you can find this show on all the major audio platforms. If you tuned in via YouTube and you watched this podcast, don't be cheeky, click subscribe. And until next time, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Blood, Brothers Podcast, a 5-Headies production. production.